Hey, uh, good morning. Good morning, friends. Uh, today is the first sermon in a four-part sermon series on Advent, and the theme is hope. So let's just begin by stating the obvious. Let's get this out of the way, right? So uh, we hope somehow in some way for an end to the pandemic and life to return to normal. Uh, we hope for a strong economy. This affects so many people in so many ways. Uh, we hope, uh, we hope that um, there will be some measure of healing in the soul of our nation. Now, stepping back from us, as we think historically and globally, it's just, just natural for us humans to yearn for hopefulness. It's something we all want. And so how do people hope? Well, some people, this is their hope. If I can put enough effort into the demands of my religion, then I'll get blessed. So I do good, and then I better deserve blessing. Some people just hope in their own ability to control their situation. Uh, others hope that uh, discoveries in science and the right government decisions will usher in a new golden age for humanity. And some people hope, well, I just hope I'm lucky enough that I don't face climate catastrophe, uh, natural disasters, or debilitating disease. Now, what is the problem with these hopes? Well, they're based on the frailty of humanity or simply on chance. And now, there is a common Old Testament refrain of worship. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And even if the people of God were enduring difficult times, they would still confess with faith, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. This is a statement of hopefulness. And why is it confessed in both the good and the bad times? It's because this belief is based on God Almighty, a God who is faithful, a God who is sovereign, meaning a God who is supreme and in control. This statement of hope is based on a God who not only creates, but a God who has a plan to save humanity. And it's because of this hope that is based on God that we can even have an Advent sermon series on hope. And uh, so today, uh, the promise of hope. Next week, the beauty of hope. The following week, the thrill of hope. And then right before Christmas, the fulfillment of hope. And so today, the promise of hope, God's message of deliverance fulfilled in Advent. God's message of deliverance fulfilled in Advent. And to understand this type of hope, something that's fulfilled in Advent... We're going to go way back and look at words penned thousands of years ago by the prophet Isaiah. The scripture passage this morning is from Isaiah chapter 9, 
I will read verses 1 and 2 and then skip to verses 6 and 7. From Isaiah 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. And then verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. Now this scripture passage, written thousands of years ago, was initially written to the kingdom of Judah. At the time, the nation of Israel had split in two, Israel northern kingdom and Judah southern kingdom. The king at the time of Judah was King Ahaz. He was a wicked king. He trusted in the government of Assyria more than he trusted in God. Now into this reign comes the prophet Isaiah, who God spoke through to pen these words. Isaiah's name means Yahweh is salvation. And a case could be made that the book of Isaiah, one of the themes of the whole book, is actually the theme of this message. God's deliverance fulfilled in Advent. You have Isaiah 7. A virgin shall conceive, and his name will be called Emmanuel. You have Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the root of Jesse. A branch will emerge from the root and bear fruit. Prophecies of Jesus. And now we come to these famous words in Isaiah chapter 9. We see God's deliverance pointing to Advent by the light, the leader, and the line. I didn't even have to work hard to alliterate this. It just, it just came. So we'll see God's deliverance pointing to Advent by the light, the leader, and the line. So first, we look at the light. Well, actually, before we get to the light, let's think about darkness for a moment because that's what the, that's what the text does. I was thinking about darkness, and I recalled a time in college when I was uh, uh, running an obstacle course. And I kind of liked obstacle courses. Uh, my short, dirty sides could, could work well. But this one particular obstacle course had a piece of it which I, I did not like. Uh, they had taken hay bales and put them on the side and then formed a maze out of the hay bales on the side so that they were, only, they were only this far off the ground. And then they covered this maze with a very thick, 
dark tarp. So what you had to do is kind of be like a mouse. Get on your hands and knees and crawl through this maze in complete darkness. I remember coming to this thing thinking, I don't want to do this. This actually looks scary. It, it caused a little bit of apprehension entering into the darkness, not knowing where to go. I did reassure myself by thinking, well, no one has died in here. Surely they won't let that happen. And with that weak hope, I entered the maze. So I'm in here bumping into dead ends, backing up, and, you know, finally I got near the end and I saw the light and great relief swept over me. Now, this is a story of minor, minor darkness compared to the people of Israel. I mean, think about this. The land of Israel is the most fought-over piece of real estate in human history. Still to this day. Even if there were periods of peace, it was always followed by war or threat of war. It was the only land bridge between the three continents of Asia, Europe, and Africa, and regional and global powers were continually vying for control of this little sliver in the Middle East. And that's where they lived. Speaking of feeling like you're living in darkness, and even that's what our text says and explains. Now, I didn't read this earlier, but the verse right before Isaiah 9.1, it's Isaiah 8.22, it's one of the most gloomy verses in the Bible. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, they will be thrust into thick darkness. Could you come up with any more negative words in such a short passage? This is darkness. Now we come to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. And Isaiah 9, 1 serves as a bridge between the darkness of chapter 8, verse 22, and then this poem that begins at Isaiah 9, 2, and goes to 9-7. So you get to 9-1, this little piece in the middle, um, and it says there will be no gloom. So we have this negative, negative, dark verse, and then there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought contempt into the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. Those were the tribes of the north who received God's judgment. So there's judgment, contempt for this land, uh, the judgment, but in the latter time, he is made glorious. Oh, something good finally is happening. Glorious by the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Oh, this is odd. Here is a prophet of Judah prophesying from Jerusalem, which is the power center of the region, Jerusalem. It is the capital, clearly the strongest fortress of the region, 
the political spiritual center. And what does this prophet of Judah say? One day when the darkness is gone, it's going to be gone because there's going to be glory that comes. And that glory is not coming from you. Surprise! It's coming from Galilee in the north. Okay. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Ah, light, relief, hope, hope. They have seen a great light. Uh, Those who dwelled in the land of deep darkness on them, a light has shined. And this light comes from Galilee. Also interesting, these words of hope were penned in the 8th century BC. Pointing ahead to Jesus, 700 years later was when the hope would be fulfilled. Just a little point of note for us who live in an instant gratification culture, I want things now. God's timing is not always our timing. But we do see that God was faithful to his promise about a light coming from Galilee, the Lord Jesus Christ, and when Jesus came, how was he described? John chapter 1, the light, Jesus, the light shines in the darkness. John 3.19, right after the famous John 3.16, John 19, this is the verdict. Light has come in to the world. Jesus is the light. You know, in our culture today, a case can be made that there is a measure in which we live in darkness. And there is a measure of fear that there will continue to be darkness in the future. However, my hope is not based on the end to the pandemic. It is not based in a strong economy or the healing of the soul of our nation. My hope is based in something more enduring and more sure. It is based in the light of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you today, has the light of Jesus shined shined into your heart? Are you able to look at life from God's perspective because of Jesus shining, because of the hope that that light gives you? The light. Secondly, this passage talks about the leader. The leader. I was thinking about leaders in my own life, and I remember as a young seminary student I signed up for an internship at a church. I was full of energy, excitement, knowledge from seminary, and an extreme lack of pastoral experience. And so I arrived there, and I was given a new name. My name was Pastor Mac. Cool. And uh, my, my leader at the time, the pastor of the church, he was Pastor Jack. I said, oh, I like the rhyming. And uh, Pastor Jack, he loved the church. He knew the church. He knew the community. 
And he was full of wisdom to lead and guide me as, as, as I learned from him about pastoral ministry in the church. I would go to him for advice. He would spend so much time with me. He just fed into my life. And he was not just a leader, but he was a true mentor to me. Something real and personal for my life. And so now we come to the text. Uh, We come to the leader in the text. And again, we're met with another surprise. Sometimes we get too familiar with the Bible. We, We don't get the surprises. Okay? So our first surprise, what was that? That was like, oh, the glory should be in Jerusalem. Surprise! Galilee in the north. The next surprise... I didn't read this, but uh, chapter 9, verse 5, is talking about war. War. And then, uh, verse 6 is about the leader, and what does it say? It's a boy! It's, It's a baby! Okay, this is kind of funny. Yes, yes. Okay, like, oh, there's a war. We need a leader. We need a military general to defeat the enemy so that we can live with hope. This is what we need. And then the Bible says, it's a boy. What? For unto us, a child. What? Wait, wait, wait. No, we're looking for somebody who has some experience, already has some influence, and when we look at that person, we see, ah, they can make things better for us. Not a helpless infant. And yet God says, It's all going to begin with the birth of a baby, which we call Christmas. So for unto us, a child is born, a son is given. This child will grow, and this is important. The government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called. Now, the next four descriptors of this child of Jesus, a whole sermon could be written. But this is just one part of my sermon, so I'm going to go through them kind of quickly. Uh, Some of you might think that there's five descriptions of Jesus here, and that's because of the good old King James Bible. The King James Bible puts a comma between wonderful and counselor and handles Messiah, you know, wonderful counselor, you know, kind of splits that up, so it's five. But actually, modern scholars, modern translations, they all agree there's no comma there. So there's four descriptors of Jesus. First, wonderful counselor. Simply put, the leader makes wise plans, the wisest of plans that could be made to benefit the people under his rule. Wonderful counselor. Second, mighty God. This is not some ordinary child growing up to be some maybe influential person, but ordinary man. This person is divine. Mighty God. Now because the leader is a wonderful counselor and is God, therefore we can have, we can have the next Two statements. Everlasting Father. Everlasting. The rule will not end. 
everlasting Father. Now it is at this point that there are some people that have just a really strong theological problem with Isaiah here. Wait a minute. Jesus is the Son of God. God the Father sent Jesus. So Jesus isn't God the Father, but this is confusing. How does this all work out? And actually, on the surface, it can sound confusing, but it really isn't. Here's the solution. This passage in Isaiah is not making a theological statement about the nature of the Trinity. That Almighty God is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's not what Isaiah is doing here. Simply what is happening is that the word Father is being used as a metaphor to explain the leader. So in fact, what is being said here is an everlasting one who will care and protect for those under his rule. The word Father is a metaphor for a caring protector. And then finally, this leader, Jesus, Prince of Peace. In a land of turmoil and war like Israel, the best blessing was peace. And even in our day and age, to live with internal peace and peace in community, what a blessing that is. Jesus, our leader. So you see here, uh, there are many, many plot twists. Galilee, child. And then when Jesus comes, you know, Israel thinks the Messiah is going to conquer Rome. And no, he's come to conquer something actually more profound, the power of sin and death. And then a leader that conquers usually stands alive and victorious at the end. And this leader dies on the cross and is resurrected. And then, this leader establishes his kingdom, but does not fully establish his kingdom. He promises he will return, and one day, every knee will bow and tongue confess. Not now, but one day, every knee will bow and tongue uh, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, is Jesus Christ the light of your life? Is Jesus the leader? He is the best leader, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, caring protector, and Prince of Peace. And then finally, the line. The line. So how many of you right now could name one of your great 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 grandfathers. Any any can name your one of your great 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 grandfathers. Now, full disclosure, believe it or not, I could have done that before this message. I mean, obviously, I study up on the message, so I can say this. But I didn't. I did know this, um, and that's probably because of my grandfather. Kind of just, I knew it because because of him. He really made sure I knew it. Uh, so uh, my line. Okay, uh, really, my legal name is Edward, not Mac. Okay, so, so um, I am Edward, son of Edward, I'm a junior, so it's my dad, son of Alexander, my grandfather, son of Edward, where the Edward came from, 
son of Henry, son of Heinrich Wiener, that came to Philadelphia around 1822 from, you guessed, Germany. Another little interesting thing about the line is Heinrich had a son, Henry, right? And Henry uh, married, and his wife, his wife's great-grandfather was a reformed minister from Switzerland who preached in the late 1700s. Now, is that not cool about the line? I think that's kind of cool. Spiritual line. Spiritual line. When I was a little boy, my parents, who have a quite, a, quite a testimony, my parents embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. They put their trust and hope in Jesus and sought to live a life committed to Jesus Christ. And they took that seriously. And that was the home that I was raised in. And what were they doing? My parents and then me. Spiritually, their line, they were tying in to the line of God's promise. So let's take a look at, at God's line as outlined in the Bible. It begins with Abraham. Abraham, uh, Genesis 12, I'm going to bless you, a nation will come from you, but then what does the text say? All peoples on earth will be blessed by you. From your line, you're going to bless everyone. And uh, this, this idea was, was put within the hearts of the Israelites. In Exodus 19, it says, The whole earth is mine, but you, Israelites, will be a kingdom of priests. It is through you that the world will understand the truth about me and my salvation. And then, of course, uh, a famous, famous chapter in the Bible, which you know, doesn't get a lot of uh, headline, is 2 Samuel 7. God says to King David, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. David's throne will never come to an end. It will be established forever. Now, if you lived during Isaiah's time, uh, here is this little country of Judah, surrounded by global powers. Up north, the kingdom of Israel, their dynasties, it was a mess. One after another, and they all flamed out. It would be humanly reasonable to think that at some point, David's line will be wiped out and may be remembered, but it won't be followed anymore. Humanly speaking, that would be reasonable to think. However, God is faithful to his promises. And God said, David's line, something amazing is going to come from David's line. And so we read, I'll read it again, 9 verse 7, of the increase of his government, of Jesus, of this child to be born, the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And so this Messiah coming, Jesus, is not just a ruler in the, in the little spit of land in the Middle East that's the, the size of the state of New Jersey. No, the government will increase. And we know from other scripture texts, that increase means 
spread throughout the earth. The light of Jesus will spread throughout the earth. He will be a leader. His kingdom will be established throughout the earth. And all the people will know. Sorry. Um, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it. Jesus comes in the line of David with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God has a purpose and a plan and a passion for the line of David and to bless the world through the line of David, to bless the world through the child to be born that will be a leader in the world spiritually, that will be the light of the world. And so, friends, I ask you, what are our takeaways from these ancient words from Isaiah? God's deliverance fulfilled in the Advent season. Number one, we continue to look forward to the Advent of Jesus. As we anticipate the coming of Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus, we remember that the word Advent actually means coming. And Jesus promised he would come again. His kingdom is established already, but yet not yet fully. And so we look forward to the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, our hope is not based on human ability or on some idea of what a good current life is. I mean, I, I hope we all have a good current life, but that is not the basis of our hope. And so number three, our hope is based on a saving God. A God who is faithful, a God who is sovereign, and a God who has a saving plan. Revelation 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. We look forward to that day, when God makes everything new. And so I ask you this morning, where is your point of struggle, of pain, of even crying and mourning? And it is at that point of struggle that a gracious God wants to shine into you the healing and the peaceful love, and light of the Lord Jesus Christ. I implore you this morning to open your heart to the light of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious, mighty, faithful, sovereign God, we thank you for your redemptive plan. And we pray that your spirit 
would continue to soften our hearts and open our hearts to the beautiful and the wonderful and the healing light of Jesus Christ. O God, please fill us today with your hope. In Jesus' name, amen.